Welcome to Creating Kesha, conversations about connecting. In each episode, I get to have a conversation with one of my colleagues about ideas, concerns, issues, and solutions to improving and deepening our marriages. I'm your host, Lisa Tversky. I'm having a conversation today with my colleague, Rabbi Yehuda Krohn, PsyD, a psychologist in private practice in Chicago, Illinois. Welcome, Yehuda. Hi, Lisa. Thanks for having me on. Thanks so much for coming on. We're going to be talking today about the very important topic of having needs and expressing your needs to your spouse in your marriage. And we're really going to work on breaking this down. First, what are the thoughts that get in the way of us being able to and thinking it's okay to state our needs? What are the thoughts? And then after that, maybe we can talk about what happens, what we do, all of the little or big uh, trouble we cause when we don't want to, can't manage to, are resistant to stating our needs, all the trouble we make in our marriage trying to get away with having what we want without stating what we need um, so that people can kind of recognize themselves yeah. And then maybe we could talk about how do you address that? But first starting with what are what are the beliefs, the thoughts, the training that that creates this dynamic for us? So I don't know if I'm going to be able to identify specific thoughts, but I'll at least aim for feelings and sentiments and um one belief is that um I'm somehow more powerful if I don't need anything. Mm. I'm somehow more powerful if if I'm self-sufficient, if I'm fully independent. If I really don't need anything from you, you, you know, my spouse, and 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 rather, you know, you know, the Jewish angle on it is I'm a no sane, I'm a giver, I'm more of a giver than a taker. Taker. Mm are weak or they are selfish. So um, there might be a fear that, you know, there's somehow a character defect in me if I have needs. Um, but I guess on a, on a deeper level, there's a fear that I'm somehow less powerful. Mm. If, I need, if mm. I need, if I need that, let's say, um, let's say I gave a speech and I need for my partner to, to recognize my spouse, to recognize, you know, that I, that I, that I spoke well, and I let her know that then on some level, I'm saying, oh, I I can't just give a speech and be happy. I need someone to applaud me. I need someone to recognize that. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and it it makes me feel little um, dependent, uh, less than whole if I have any needs. Right. And then, and then there's the, you know, it's wrong, right? It's selfish. Right. And that goes back to the idea of character again, that for me to have any needs where I'm telling you that I need something from you, that I'm somehow, I'm somehow being like you're saying selfish and, and, and being, you know, too self-absorbed and, you know, Mm. I'm, I'm sure you've grown up on some of the children's and I'll use the word tapes, you know, yeah. things 
there's so many recordings where it's all about giving to the other person. Um, one of our favorite um, uh, children's recordings that we used to play on our long, long drives from Chicago down to Atlanta was um, a particular one. I'm not going to name it, but you might <laughs> identify it just by the way I describe it, of a bicycle race where the main character, um, even though he could use his own bicycle, wants to make sure that he gives his bike. He wants to make sure the, the, the bicycle race paradoxically has comes out where the winner gets a new bicycle. So it doesn't uh-huh. make sense, but, but because if you needed a new bicycle, you probably wouldn't win the race. But, but anyway, the, the main, the main character gives his bicycle to a friend who needs it even more than he does. Mm-hmm. And, um, and not only that, the friend was less religious than he, so he gets Kirov points. He gets points for bringing someone closer to, to Judaism and, and the the message starting at starting at a very young age that we're giving to our children and really taking in ourselves is that it's about giving life is about giving not about taking not about needing not about having needs not about expressing those needs or even insisting that certain needs be met right and and so even though if you would ask the question directly, are you supposed to have no needs? And even though most people would say, no, you're, 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 of course you have needs. You're human. Everyone has needs. We're somehow not giving that message over correctly, or the message we are giving over doesn't have enough nuance to both, uh, encapsulate the idea of being a giver and being charitable and being a doer, but also giving to ourselves and making sure that, that we have what we need to do that and other things in our life. And there's no sort of, we're not, we're not taught the nuances that we need to be in order to not sometimes or oftentimes come into marriage and, panic at the idea of asking for things yeah yeah and and you know one way of describing it is nuance and another way of describing it is more binary thinking you're either a giver or a taker you know the world is divided into two sets of people the givers and the takers and uh-huh. in reality you know it's not either or it's both and right you're simultaneously givers and takers there are very few people who can manage um, without receiving anything, without needing anything, you know, mm-hmm. even a camel um, that goes for a long time without water eventually need, needs a drink and, and a long one at that. Right. Well, you all need to receive at least something from another person, especially an intimate partner. Right. Especially. Yeah. And so would you say that those are sort of the two or three main things that get in our way, this education that is way too binary um, or not nuanced and the message, especially probably even more so for men than women, that if you need emotionally, then you're not manly, Um that, that those are sort of, you know, the messages that get, get us tripped up um, and uncomfortable 
in expressing ourselves. I would add, I think, and this is a point that comes up a lot when I think and talk about young couples, is the idea that we don't have a lot of practice at doing it, um, you know, in intimate relationships, you know, with our parents, which is an emotionally, hopefully an emotionally intimate relationship, we probably didn't get much practice because they raised us and knew us and probably often just stepped in without us having to ask. Mm -hmm. And then we come to this next emotionally intimate relationship and we don't know how to ask because even if we got given to, we didn't often have to ask for it. It was just there. Um, There's not a lot of practice. I haven't quite thought of it that way, but I, Absolutely agree with you. That's um, it, it. It is definitely a shift from relationship with parents, where where the parents typically are expected to anticipate a good many of our needs, most of our needs. Um, the the the, the sent or the, the other part that I did want to bring in, though, and maybe this does dovetail with what you're saying, is that when our needs are exposed, whether we choose to expose them or where or whether they become exposed through other means. And this happens sometimes in therapy. We can sometimes feel a sense of shame. Yes. And the shame, of course, is secondary to the sense of that it, it reflects poorly on my character. Um, it reflects, you know, that I'm, a, uh, again, I'm more of a, um, I'm less powerful than I thought, less independent, mm-hmm. more a taker, less of a giver. But just the very fact that I need something can be can be experienced as shameful, and especially if it's exposed as such. So once we're in therapy, and I'll sometimes say, is there something that you need here that you're not talking about? Um, mm-hmm. The emotions that gets in the way of our getting to it would be shame. Yeah, yeah. And that, you know, having, if if we didn't get our needs met because that just didn't happen in our lives, then our needs feel like too much or slash shameful. And if we did get our needs met by parents who were in tune, then we also don't have a lot of practice sort of having needs and owning them and recognizing them and being comfortable with them. It was just sort of taken care of and not spoken about. Right, right. I'm going to add one more um, factor to the mix when we're talking about having needs and expressing them, and that's the fear of need of the need not being granted or the wish not being honored. Um, yeah. What if I say there's something that I need and my spouse says I can't give that to you, or I can't give that to you now? Right. Would that create a crisis in the relationship that can't, that can't, um, that we can't, the relationship wouldn't even be able to recover from? Mm. Stepping outside of the context of marriage for a moment, I once worked with someone who found himself going between one shul and another, and sometimes a third or a fourth, because he would find that his he would find that there would come a point where the Rav of the Shul would, being human, of course, inevitably um, do something or fail to do something in a way that caused this client to bump up against his needs. And Mm. 
when we talked about, well, why don't you let the Rav know what you're feeling? He'd say, because if I did let him know and he didn't agree with me, he didn't apologize, he didn't say that'll never happen again, then, then that, would, that would destroy the relationship. And so, and so he would have to actually bounce back and forth between several shuls until the sadness, the frustration, the hurt would subside but it was the hurt and the sad, sadness and the frustration of a need that he never expressed. And then he'd be able to go back, you know, either he'd be able to go back or he'd have to go back because it would happen in the other shul the same way. Right. So I don't know if that's a, a, a blocking belief um, that keeps someone from it or, or sort of a blocking emotional turmoil. I don't know what to call it, but you know, that idea that I don't want to know or it's worse for me if you say no than if I stay bottled up with never asking. And some people, some people, you know, for some people it'll be worse one way. Right. And for some people it's worse the other way. Right. And that. I'm sorry. And the notion that I can, that I can, you know, that I can say, well, you've said no, but I still have that need. And my need doesn't go away. And I'm not going to apologize for having that need. And we might need to, there actually might be a tension between us and the relationship that, you know, that is unresolved at present. But I can sit with that tension. And I hope you can sit with that tension. That's something that we, that those, those who have trouble expressing their needs would never be able to get to. Right, right. And, and, and look at the totality of the relationship, you know, are there other good things? Are there other things? Have yeah. we negotiated things? Can we negotiate things that there's, there's other places to go once we're fully in our relationship and there's really nowhere to go in terms of connecting around these things if we're not fully in our relationship? Um, what you're saying is that, number one, there's a trust in the person that I'm, I'm in a relationship with a good person. And if you've had other negotiating experiences, there might even be a trust in the process itself. Right. Wait for me to let my need be known and you to say no or not now. And we're not going to fragment. Neither of us is going to fall apart and we're still going to solve this or resolve this. That's right. Time. Yeah. And, and some people have that experience and can trust in the process a little bit more. And some people don't. And, and some people, it's they don't because they haven't tried and other people have had very negative experiences. And so they don't want to try again. And those are all different sort of constellations of people or types that might be engaging in this kind of behavior where they don't, they don't ask, they don't reveal, they don't tell, they don't share what's going on for them. So it could be a bunch of different things. One unique, you know, um, subset of the group of those who have not been able to, um, you know, who've had unsatisfactory experiences of asking for their needs to be met would be someone who is actually shamed. Mm. That's what you want? Really? Are you kidding me? You? You know, if, if, if I'm shamed for even having the need and it goes back to being exposed and, and treated, you know, being treated in a dismissive way, the lesson that I'll learn certainly in that relationship and perhaps even in other relationships is don't let your needs be known. 
Right. Right. Which, you know, we're jumping a little bit ahead, but I just make the point that that's a really good clue, tool, uh, intervention or, or whatever interaction to remember that if I'm going to have to say no, it's there's a big difference between I don't know if I can or I don't know if that's yeah. going to be okay and you want what? You right. know, that we can still be close even if we're not coming to a meeting of the minds on a particular thing. Right. We can still be close or we can still maintain a relationship with closeness depending on how we say no. Right, right. David Snarch, who wrote a lot and spoke a lot and presented a lot on intimacy of all sorts, um, felt very strongly that it was particularly in a moment where one person authentically made their need known. Here's something I would like to try. And the partner, the spouse, was able to say authentically, well, not whether well, well, the partner was able to say, yes, I, I just, I'm not ready to do that now. And I hear what you're saying, but it's something that is not, I'm not ready for. I don't want to do that now was the greatest moment of intimacy. Mm. Um, partner to say, uh, oh, okay, uh, I, I think I'll do that. Right. I'll, yeah, I want to do that, you know, and, but then not do it. That would be a loss of intimacy because- right. As a partner who was made had who faced the request was actually erasing their own preferences. It's for for, for David Snarch. It was particularly the moment where two people can have authentic um, experiences, preferences, wishes, desires that do not particularly jibe, and they can still stay in relationship with each other and still be connected with each other. And again, with the trust and an understanding that at some later point it might get resolved. Right, right. So that kind of moves us from like, what are the blocking beliefs or thoughts or, you know, emotional constellation to if we could shift and talk about all the ways that people cause trouble in their relationship, trying to get their needs met without actually saying they have a need. So do you right. want to start us off on that part of the conversation, sure. see if people can recognize themselves? <laughs> sure. I've, I've got actually a few different um, ways that, you know, that that shows up. I mean, perhaps the most famous one, and I think I mentioned earlier that we would listen to one tape or one recording on our long car rides, a children's tape about a child who gave up his bicycle there was another tape that we listened to from the children's television workshop. I think it was about like baby Grover or something. And, uh-huh. and it was Grover goes to school for the first time. And, um, you know, Grover wants to please everybody. He's the ultimate people pleaser. I want to make everybody happy, he said. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he goes to school and someone asks him to trade lunches he really didn't want to trade his lunch, but he does so anyway. And 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 he's at a moment where he, I'm going to get to the point eventually. Yeah. Well, he, I believe he gets, you. He gets, you know, it's time to clean up after the kids have played. And and so Grover says, you know, I'm going to use Grover voice. Don't worry, I will clean up for you. You know, and, and everyone else goes to snack time and he cleans up and then he shows up and 
only broken cookies are left. And, and, you know, it goes on and on throughout the day. And at some point he just has a meltdown, Mm -hmm. a meltdown. People who continue to deny their needs either have meltdowns or they explode and no one really knows why. And they might not even know why, because they've trained themselves, they've trained themselves um, that they should have no needs. You know, we, it's kind of a play on the words of low FSR in, that we say in, in, in Mizmar Ladava that we sing on, on for, for Shalashudis that, mm-hmm. you know, I shall not want. I right. shall not want. I can't have any wants. And they don't know. And then all of a sudden they're just crying and they've got aches and, and they're furious and they don't know why. Right. So the first sign, you know, that something's wrong. Right. Yeah. And the other classic um, uh, thing that people do uh, to try and get their needs met without saying they have a need is to torture. Is that too strong of a word? Their their spouse um, or badger, let's say badger their spouse with, but don't you want, but you don't want. (laughs) Right, right. But you don't want, but, but don't you want. And, and rather than, and this to me is, is a conflict or, or discomfort with two things. It's, it's a discomfort with me having my needs and, and wanting to be clear and own them. And it's sometimes related and sometimes a separate issue of and I'm not comfortable if we're different. Yeah. And maybe I'm not comfortable if we're different and therefore I'm going to have to, you know, give in or relinquish my needs. So I'm going to from one of those points, but one of those points being I I I can't say what I need. I'm going to badger and cajole and, you know, kind of torture you yes. into um thinking you should. I'm going to, you know, schlep you to this side of the equation so I can have my needs either without me having to say so or have my needs without us being different because it might be that I could get my needs met, but you're being clear that you don't want it makes me uncomfortable. Right. So therefore, I'm going to have to convince you that you really like this or you really don't want that or you really want to go here or you really pr- would prefer not to go there or, 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 or. And that so causes I, major trouble. Yeah. I appreciate where you're doing that because I, I did have written down over here on my notes, you know, one of them was manipulation, which is a form of don't you want. But I think you took it to the next level and saying it's not just that I'm afraid to make my own needs known, but I'm also afraid to have needs that stand apart from yours. Yeah. I can almost, you know, kill two birds with one stone by saying, don't you want, don't you want ginger ale? Don't you want to watch this show? Don't you want to go to that show? You know, you know, and so either the spouse you know, gets it and says, um, you know, I mean, there are three positions that the spouse can take. One of them is no. <laughs> <laughs> right. Other of them is yes, which is kind of like resignation. And the third one is I don't, but let's go there for you. Right. Well, but that would take some uh, perception 
on their part that you're asking that because you want it, but you don't want to say you want it or, 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 and, and that would be really nice. But I think that people can't rely on that, that they shouldn't rely on that. That's let's put it that way. They, they should attempt to take ownership of their own need and expressing of it. Um, Right, right. You certainly should not manipulate hoping that your spouse gets it. Right, right. A third way that we can, you know, get into trouble is by triangulating. And so describing a situation in a marriage that was in more trouble than most, um, a husband was asked to sleep in a different room. He was asked to sleep in the attic. And, And he was at that point connected to a certain belief system where he can't have any needs. So he dutifully, um, you know, goes and retires to the attic and, and stays there and sleeps there for weeks. And at some point he becomes angry at his wife because he knows that their teenage daughter was wanting to use that attic for her own bedroom. She was going to go up and decorate it and make it nice. Mm-hmm. Point He says, you know, you're denying I know that our teenage daughter is upset that I'm using the attic and she can't have it. And, and it really foils her plans. And how can you hurt our daughter the way you're hurting her? And, and, you know, the the husband might even solicit, you know, the, the help of, you know, the daughter, aren't you upset in the attic? You know, if she's smart, she might say, no, I'm upset that you're not sleeping in the same bedroom with mommy, you know, but (laughs) that, you know, but either way, you know, we're triangulating a child. We're triangulating, meaning we're rooting our conflict through a third party because we can't tolerate that conflict in a direct fashion. Right. So that's that's again another way we cause trouble uh, when we can't when we can't um, when we can't state our needs. Right. That's right. that's and, another way we ca- cause trouble. And and even one last way, and again, I'm saying pay attention, notice when you're doing these things, and that's telling you that you're in trouble about having needs. Notice when you're starting to ask third parties, whether they're your therapist or anyone else, is that normal? Mm. Is it normal when someone climbs into bed wearing their day clothes? Is it normal when someone um, does this, does that, when someone doesn't give to their wife, you know, flowers on Friday. Is that normal? Uh You know, if, if we're starting to look for experts to explain to us, is that normal? Chances are we're having a hard time being able to say, you know, I'd like flowers. Right. You know, I'd like it. I like it. You know, going back, you know, one case, I like it when we're, when, when a person doesn't go to bed, when you don't go to bed wearing all the clothes, you know, I, it feels like there's a separateness and a separation between us. You know, it's, it's the capacity to say, here's what I want. So when you find yourself kind of going through the list, if you find yourself exploding, if you find yourself asking your spouse if they want it, if you're finding yourself triangulating it, a child is involved. And if you're looking for experts to say, is that normal? Is that the halacha? You know, I mean, there are times that, of course, that we should ask whether the halacha is, but oftentimes right. the halachas between spouses is there to validate the needs, not to circumvent the needs. And, and, so, and so 
the moments that we're looking for all those things are the moments we're recognizing that we that we might be uncomfortable having our own needs. And and part of the question is is how can you know how can we learn to have our own needs? And I, I guess that's really the question you're asking. Right. Well. Okay. So this was a really great start. It sounds like we did more than start, I know, but this is a really great start to unraveling this topic, talking about what blocks us in our, how we think from having our needs and the mechanisms or the trouble we cause in our relationships because we don't want to have our needs. And in part two, we're going to talk about, so how can we start doing things differently in our own heads and in our relationship? And I really look forward to unraveling that with you, Rabbi Dr. Crone. I look forward as well. I look forward as well, Mrs. Tversky. <laughs> okay, till next time, everybody. Take care. Yeah. Have an issue or question you'd like discussed on the show? Email me at creatingkesher at gmail.com. See y'all next time.